Welcome to the Episcopal Church of the Redeemer's Sermon Podcast. The readings appointed for this sermon are from the book of Genesis, chapters 17, verse 1 through 7, verse 15 through 16, Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 4, verse 13 through 25, the gospel according to Mark, chapter 8, verse 31 through 38, and Psalm 22, verse 22 through 30. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and God rules over the nations. May I speak with fear, trembling, truth, grace, and love in name of the Creator, the Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now Jesus decides to speak openly. Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but human things. Now, that's rough. Poor, impetuous Peter cannot catch a break. But it was only moments before that Peter finally got something right. Jesus asked his disciples, who do the people say that I am? The disciples chime in, running down a list of the usual suspects. Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. But Jesus is not about to hear nor entertain that nonsense. So the question is aptly rephrased, but who do you say I am? Peter answers, you are the Christ. And then he is told to tell no one about Jesus. Well, my question is, How did Peter identify Jesus correctly as the Christ, the Messiah, but misunderstand Jesus' prediction that he would suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed after three days and rise again? Yes, Jesus has already given us the answer, but we'll get back to that. But in my opinion, maybe Peter was not so deserving of such a harsh rebuke. Peter was certainly entitled to some partial credit. His answer was certainly not a blind or an uneducated one, but it was based on real events, real experiences, things that that Peter had seen with his own two eyes. And if we look back at the ministry of Jesus in Galilee, Like Peter, we observe a powered spirit, a spirit empowered, divinely ordained Jesus, who not only taught and preached the good news concerning the kingdom of God, but also someone who made real the promises of God of renewal and restoral in the world and in communities. We would see a Jesus who liberated communities from illness, disease, death, supernatural forces of evil, and powers of darkness that held captive the people rendered vulnerable by oppressive imperial hegemonic structures and hierarchies. Importantly, we would see someone who preached hope and made hope real by addressing real needs and real lives. We'd see a Jesus with the power to repair the terrible damage inflicted 
find the imperial structures unvulnerable and powerless. We'd also see someone known by the demons as a holy one. Someone who was a source of miracles, who walked on water, and even the winds obeyed. For the disciples, Jesus had proven to be someone with divine wisdom concerning the very much awaited kingdom of God. He had on multiple occasions masterfully bested fierce opposition from the most respected religious authorities. He astounded the crowds with his teachings and actions, and he demonstrated both the power and authority expected of a Messiah. However, such an expectation comes up short. It distorts one's vision and makes one see with the human eyes. On one level, Peter's eyes did not cause him to miscalculate Jesus' power. Peter was able to see all of Jesus' wondrous feats. However, he was not understand what Jesus was aiming to accomplish. He and the other disciples seemed to be more preoccupied with Jesus' messianic power and title rather than his life-giving mission. Of course, the title Messiah is important for establishing an authority bestowed by God, but what good is a title when detached from Jesus' countercultural mission to seek and save the lost, the broken, and outcast? No, Peter's mind wasn't capable of envisioning all the possibilities accessible to God, especially not a God who came to serve and not be served. Not when the stakes are so high, when doing what is accomplished by the human eye and mind would not accomplish what God accomplished through Jesus Christ for humanity. So, Maybe Peter doesn't deserve any partial credit at all. Maybe placing limits on God because of human desires is something exactly from the devil. Because there is just too much at stake. To announce Jesus as the Messiah before his true glorification would be inadequate and incomplete. For the Son of Man must undergo suffering, rejection, and death. It is precisely for this reason that his followers, including Peter, would eventually take up their crosses and lose their lives. But in case you missed it, Jesus will rise again glorified. And the persecuted and martyred disciples will be given new life. Too often, Jesus' prediction is taken to mean that his mission was principally to suffer and die. Many theologians insist that that idea must be resisted. The fact that the Son of Man must suffer, be rejected, and die signifies not divine design, but a political inevitability when one poses challenge to the visions, structures, practices, and power of empire. To simply make Jesus' suffering normative in this case, and for that matter, for the sake of discipleship, would betray God's aim to rid the world of oppressive and suffering 
structures. No, Jesus was not on a mission to die, but his death would result from his faithfulness to God's mission to heal. Jesus would die because he would not falter in his mission and commitment to human healing. Such a mission would not be dialed back to prevent or ease his suffering or even to spare his life. Not when the stakes are so high. It should not surprise us that God's commitment to the healing of humanity is without limits, as is God's healing power. Not when the stakes are so high. So, what are we to do in response to God's commitment to transforming broken structures and healing of humanity today? Jesus' answer is to deny oneself, to carry one's cross and follow him. Let's start with taking up one's cross. I believe that Jesus is inviting us to follow his commitments, his actions, and even their consequences. As a follower of Christ, we are to participate in efforts that resist all practices that cause harm and destruction, promote inequality and injustice, and deal needless death and suffering. We are to stand in compassionate solidarity with the marginalized and oppressed. And we are to love in ways that transform others, be trans by others, and transform the world. However, when the self is at the center, taking up one's cross is nearly impossible. When the self is at the center, privileges and so-called rights are difficult to relinquish or even share. When the self is at the center, domination and control are justifiable, to some even preferable. When the self is at the center, seeking the goodwill and well-being of others is rarely an option. When the self is at the center, there is no space, no time, and no reason to consider Jesus. However, removing the self from the center can make taking up the cross life-giving. True discipleship is not possible without taking up the cross or denying of the self. It is only when we accept Jesus' command to do both does Jesus become one's true Messiah, the suffering one who laid down his life for others, the one who does not and will not falter in his quest for a just and healed world because the stakes are too high. Amen.